Today's podcast is sponsored by David M. Hosmer Law Office, which is celebrating David's 30th year practicing law. You may not need a lawyer, but when you do, you need an excellent one. Contact him at davidhosmer at hotmail.com. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Ben's Brewing Company in Yankton. Ben's has been a place for great conversation since 2005. Look for Ben's beer in stores throughout eastern South Dakota. Welcome to Yankton's Yardbirds podcast presenting the World War II stories of Yankton's veterans. After 165 interviews and countless hours of preparation, it's time to share these stories. As of now, they'll be shared by podcast and later will be presented in print. If you have questions, free to contact me at davidhosmer at hotmail.com. Please be advised that there is some offensive language within these interviews. When I'm speaking, I've added my language to more modern times. In our first episode, we discussed the regular military prior to World War II, and more particularly, the China Marines. Anger between Japan and America was building. Today, you'll meet South Dakota's 147th Field Artillery. Its trek to Pearl Harbor began at the Milwaukee Road Depot in Yankton. November of 1941 was also a momentous month for the men in the 147th Field Artillery. But their path to the Pacific had been a long one that began in early 1940 when President Roosevelt ordered them to conduct maneuvers at Camp Ripley in Minnesota. Maneuvers are designed to prepare soldiers for war. In contrast to the regular military and the new draftees were each state's National Guard units, such as the 147th Field Artillery in South Dakota National Guard. Most National Guardsmen, just like their colonial Minutemen predecessors, had full-time civilian jobs and served only part-time in the Guard. There were several batteries within the 147th. Yankton's Cliff Hicks, Don Madrager, and Arnold Albrecht were all members of E Battery. The unit consisted of 105 men, about 50 of whom came from Yankton and Tabor. They were responsible for operating four French 75mm cannons. Had the world's tensions cooled, the 147th might have returned home after the maneuvers, but trouble bubbled over. After Germany invaded Poland, Norway, and Denmark, President Roosevelt federalized and activated several National Guard units in September of 1940. After Germany invaded Belgium, France, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands and initiated an aerial attack of Britain, the 147th was federalized too. On the 25th of November 1940, it was ordered to conduct one year's training at Fort Ord, California, located about 80 miles south of San Francisco. The 147th left Yankton via the Milwaukee Railroad on the 5th of December 1940. The depot for the Milwaukee Railroad since 1905 was located at 8th and Douglas. The unit arrived at Fort Ord two days later. Their home for the next year was the East Garrison, located on a high bluff overlooking the Salinas River about halfway between Salinas and Monterey, California. The 147th received 13 weeks of basic training and then additional specialized training. General Vinegar Joe Stilwell, who commanded the 7th Infantry Division at a nearby camp, also oversaw the guard training. Military preparedness demanded some changes. Chester Beavers, 
leader of the 147th was sent home because he failed the physical examination. The new leader was former South Dakota Governor Leslie Jensen. Several other men returned home because the Army offered discharge to married men or those over 28 years of age. It wasn't all hard work. The boys had some fun. Cliff Hicks loved to play baseball and loved to talk about it too. He proudly smiled as he said, in one game against Monterey, I went zero for four, but I didn't strike out against Paul Grosich, who struck out 15 guys. Cliff Hicks was born in April of 1921 to Harold and Dora Hicks. The family moved back to Yankton in 1929, where his father worked for Larson Electric. His friends, the Fitzgeralds, the Jacobsons, and the Hansons played basketball, but Cliff loved track and baseball. He'd been a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals, Dizzy Dean, and the Gas House Gang since he was six years old. Cliff started playing American Legion baseball in Mitchell and then played for the Yankton Merchants after his family returned to Yankton. His childhood memories were filled with baseball stories such as Bob Feller barnstorming through Yankton prior to World War II. After Cliff graduated from Yankton High School in 1939, he worked at Woolworths and Globe Clothiers. And to supplement his income, he volunteered to serve an e-battery. He was paid $1 per drill, which was quite a bit of money at that time. The 147th did well at Fort Ord. The general who inspected the unit described it as, quote, well-trained and educated, unquote, and bestowed a unit good conduct award on them. There was bad news, however. Their federalization was extended. They weren't headed home. They were headed to San Francisco to receive further orders. As they departed Fort Ord in mid-November 1941, a band played Gene Autry's song, We're Heading for the Last Roundup. The Americans and Japanese during the fall of 1941 entered into negotiations to resolve their differences, but the Japanese walked away from the Secretary of State Hull's overtures. Because tensions were so high, American political leaders suspected that the Japanese might attack American troops. The Japanese had already demonstrated their aggression several times. America had several military units in the Philippines and, if the Japanese were to attack, American military leaders suspected it would be there. General MacArthur believed it, so his immediate goal was to quickly increase troop numbers at PLUM, an acronym for Philippines, Luzon, Manila. Within this tense environment, the decision was made to send the 147th Field Artillery to PLUM. The Japanese acted too. On the 26th of November, they ordered an Omada led by six airplane carriers out of Japan waters toward Pearl Harbor. After their arrival in San Francisco, the 147th was ferried to Angel Island, located due north of Alcatraz. They were supposed to be quarantined, but the men received liberty. Their obvious attitude was to take the biblical admonition to heart, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Old Testament, of course. During wartime, passenger liners were frequently repurposed as military troop ships. One such ship was the USAT Willard A. Holbrook, which shipped out of the 22nd of November 1941 with the men of the 147th aboard. Coincidentally, a member of the 147th also happened to be named Willard Holbrook. Once at sea, the Holbrook joined the Pensacola convoy, which included the SS Pensacola and seven other ships. The convoy was important to the Philippines' operation because it carried more infantry, field artillery pieces, 52 dive bombers, 32 B-7s, and ammunition. Pearl Harbor was scheduled to be its first stop. According to Hicks, the transformation from passenger liner to military ship was most evident in the toilet facilities that were erected on the deck 
Water ran topside to clean them while men slept on the same deck. While talking to a veteran on the campus of the Veterans Home of California, Yountville, he mentioned the Willard A. Holbrook, and it caught my attention. Dagnar Dag Alholm was at that moment sitting in a scooter. He was in a hurry, he was hungry, and he was on his way to dinner, but he kindly agreed to speak with me. Dagner, who was 101 years old, was originally from the San Francisco area. He was born in January 17 to John and Anna Alholm. His father had immigrated to America from Wassa, Finland. During the Depression, while attending Balboa High School, Dag became a union apprentice as a meat cutter. His trade granted him a certificate that permitted him to join the Merchant Marines, but instead he tried to enlist in the Navy. They rejected him because of a heart murmur. It's been said many times, but the Army will take any warm body. Armed with a certificate, he tried to enlist in the Army Transport Service. The ATS, which delivered troops and supplies, was controlled by the Army Quartermaster and operated by the Merchant Marines. The Army duly accepted his enlistment. He told this fascinating story. I was in San Francisco in October of 1943. I had just enlisted in the Army. I hadn't had any basic training. They put me in a long skip on the bay and then put me aboard the Willard A. Holbrook transport ship. The Army sergeant on the ship told me, you'll be back here tomorrow at 5 a.m. The next morning, Dag arrived in his civilian clothing at the designated area. They were gonna take me because I'm the number four guy, the meat cutter. He kept me in his office for quite a while and I felt the ship move a little bit and I thought the tugboats are doing something. They were loading troops at the time. I got onto the fantail deck and I looked and I said, where the hell's the dock? And he said, about a mile away. How am I gonna get out of here? Swim? Yeah, if you want to. The next thing I know, I'm passing by the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm on my way and I don't even know where I'm going. And that's how I got shanghai He is, of course, referring to the practice of some vessel owners kidnapping men to serve aboard ships. Somewhat reluctantly, Dag went down to the galley and started cutting meat. The ship went south along the coast and down to South America and took a right turn. He and the 147th took the same ship to Australia. Dag transferred to the Merchant Marines the next year and worked aboard a unique ship, the SS Permanente, formerly known as the SS Ancon. Kaiser Permanente was a large construction company that received a government contract to deliver cement to Hawaii. Much of the cement used to rebuild Pearl Harbor was delivered by Permanente. In 1949, Dag married Sylvia Nelson, a woman who had also attended Balboa High, and together they raised her daughter. After his discharge, Dag continued to cut meat and work for the University of California, local retailers, and later, the Oakland Army Base. 147th arrived at Pearl Harbor, sometime referred to as the Gibraltar of the Pacific, at noon on Saturday, the 26th of November, 1941. The Willard Holbrook moored next to the USS New Orleans and was scheduled for some repairs while the men received liberty. Hawaii was full of sailors and the nightlife was busy. It departed three days later on her way to her first stop, Fiji, about 3,000 miles away. As they left, a band dressed in beautiful red uniforms and wearing no shoes played Roll Out the Barrel for him. The man with seniority who oversaw the military personnel aboard the Holbrook was Colonel John Robinson. A graduate of West Point class of 1910, Robinson had joined the 7th Cavalry in the Philippines in 1914. As stated in The Coyotes, A History of South Dakota National Guard, published by Educator Supply Company in 1962 and penned by Richard Kropp, quote, it was his pleasure to insult and humiliate everyone, unquote. 
Some men called him Iron Whiskers, but to Don Madriger, he was, quote, a 14-carat revolving son of a bitch, unquote. Moe was not shy about his distaste for him. He also observed, quote, he was so brutal. He was mean. He was a gin hound, unquote. For example, Robinson required the men to fall out in their dress uniforms and to stand in the blaring, glaring heat while he inspected them. The men were not happy. Once at sea, Arnold Albrecht had a run-in with Robinson, too. Arnold had thrown away some food after turning ill, and Robinson ordered him to report to KP. He never showed up. On the 6th of December, the Holbrook shipmates took part in centuries-old tradition aboard sailing ships. After she crossed the equator, her youngest sailors, who were at that moment referred to as pollywogs, were introduced to King Neptune. He required them to undergo some good-natured hazing, although it could be brutal, too. They had to prove their seaworthiness, which could include a few slaps, a sunburn, or an upset stomach after drinking grog. If they survived the gauntlet of their equatorial baptism, then they were permitted to stay aboard ship and each man was forever known as a shellback. Each man received a certificate commemorating his initiation into the Royal Order of Neptunus Rex, which protects him against mermaids, whales, and sharks. The Holbrook sailed due south out of Pearl Harbor. As the crow flies, it's about 5,300 miles from Pearl Harbor to Manila. The Navy didn't travel in a straight line because it wanted to avoid Japan's mandated territories, including Kwajalein, Saipan, Truk, and Rabaul. So it planned to travel south and then west with the intent of traveling near Port Moresby on the west side of New Guinea. The trip from Pearl to Manila via Port Moresby was 6,700 miles, and their ship was scheduled to arrive on the fourth day of January in 19. 19- 42. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode of Yankton's Yardbirds, please contact David Hosmer at davidhosmer at hotmail.com. All content for this podcast was created by David Hosmer, and all production was performed by Eric Berenger. Thank you for listening to this episode of Yankton's Yardbirds.